Lord, illuminate thy word to us. Shine on it brightly that we may see it clearly. Open the ears, O Lord, of those of us made of mud and clay. That our spirits which live and are made in your image might, O Christ, hear the gospel. Lord, forgive us our sins. Let us see Jesus and him only. In your name we pray. Amen. So, uh, December of 1989 was a, a, a month and a year uh, that uh, has changed my life and Lee's life. We measure much of our history by that date. Uh, it was the date that Jacksonville had a severe snowstorm. You're laughing. Uh, it uh, it blew through, and um, it the electricity went out for three days, and um, it wasn't an inch; it was a half an inch. <laughs> Thank you very much. It's the uh, it was the big ice and snowstorm of '89. I remember it distinctly because we had twin boys at the time that were three months old. And I would have to go out into that brutal temperature of 30 degrees. <laughs> then I might boil bottles on my grill because we had no electricity. Um, it did actually, we do think of that time and that date often. It did change our lives. Uh, now we have a great appreciation for snow and, and how wonderful it is up here. A much more important and more significant uh, and change of date happened in the year 1517 when a Catholic monk by the name of Martin Luther wrote 95 theses and nailed them to the chapel and the wall uh, on the doors of Wittenberg, Germany and declared that the righteous shall live by faith. There were several other things that were in that 95 theses. One, another one would be that life, all of life, is repentance. And it was that day that the Protestant or the Protestant movement began and changed the church in many, many lives forever. And it was a protest against the theology and the understanding of the Catholic Church and what had become in the Roman Catholic Church. Not only that, it was a cry for reformation for the church to reform back to her original roots of believing the gospel of Jesus Christ and faith and faith alone. And that really was the distinguishing mark on those 95 theses that the disagreement between the Roman Catholic view of justification and the new Protestant view of justification was that we can only be justified by faith alone, in Christ alone, through grace alone, for God's glory alone. And those became the battle cries of what we know to be the Reformation from which this church finds its roots as a Protestant church and a church that has its roots in a Reformed tradition. 
Almost all churches that are non-Catholic come out of that Reformed tradition in those years of the 16th century when all churches spread out from the Roman Catholic Church. And it was over that issue. And like that, in those foundations, we see here in Romans where those foundations of Scripture alone, Christ alone, grace alone, faith alone, to God's glory alone, begin to reveal themselves in this letter, in this epistle to the Romans and the Christians that existed in Rome at the time. And Paul writes this letter to lay out those foundations. And it's important for you and I this morning to maybe see three of those foundations because they will be foundational to the rest of this whole epistle so that we can understand sound doctrine of the Christian faith. There's nothing wrong with sound doctrine and there's nothing wrong with the Word teaching us what sound doctrine is. In fact, we're encouraged throughout the Scriptures that we must have sound doctrine. The question has come in our culture of late, in the last four or five decades, what is sound doctrine? Well, because of this Reformation that we came out of, we go back to the essential truths of what the evangelical movement was all about, which is that Scripture alone is its own authority and the final authority, what we would call sola scriptura. A Latin term that means that the Bible is the ultimate authority, not men. And the Bible is the only book and the only word that can bind a man's conscience. The Pope cannot do that. The bishops cannot do that. That Scripture has that final authority to dictate to men and women what truth is. You see, in the Roman Catholic understanding... They would understand that truth comes not only from the Word of God, but also from decrees of the Pope and the Pope and the bishops and church edicts. The church experience has equal weight to the Scriptures of God. Now, why is that important? Well, it's important for this reason. We want to look at the foundation, foundational authority of Scriptures and Scriptures alone this morning as we see these words. We hear Paul say, a servant of Christ called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the holy scriptures. I don't know what you think of the Bible. I don't know whether you think it's just a good book for uh, some rules to live by or some guidance to to kind of mold yourself a life out of, or maybe it's antiquated. Maybe some of you think it's a book written only by men and that somehow if um, a man wrote it that it loses some validity. There may be some good things in there I like and some bad things. So, And the God of that Old Testament must not be the same God of the New Testament because they acted so differently apparently. Or that, you know, who can really verify its authenticity? And yet the essential truth about the Scriptures is this. Not only did Jesus refer to the Old Testament several times, somewhere close to a hundred times Jesus would quote the Old Testament, but the rest of the New Testament quotes the Old Testament some 300 times or at least alludes to it. And that the theology and the doctrine of the apostles 
came not only from Christ, but Christ and His revelation of the Old Testament itself. You see, the Scriptures even say of themselves that they're their own authority. We know, of course, Second Timothy, that all Scripture is God-breathed, good for reproof and, and teaching. We know, too, that, that Paul looked to the Scriptures as a scholar of the Scripture to develop what God would have him reveal to the church through the special revelation of the Word of God as Paul wrote it. We know from the Apostle Peter that all Scripture is God-breathed, that prophets wrote the Scriptures and men wrote the Scriptures as they were carried along by the Spirit of God. So that everything that we get from Genesis to Revelation, we understand is from the Word of God. What does it mean for the Scriptures to be inspired, to be inerrant, to be the Word of God, to be the final authority? What, where do we get that kind of confidence? Where do we get that kind of uh, understanding? Well, simply from, there's hundreds of places where the Bible says this, Thus says the Lord. We know that all of the prophets, the major prophets and the minor prophets are men who spoke not for themselves, but they spoke for the Lord. We know simply the Ten Commandments came from where? They came directly from the Lord's finger. We know all of the words of Jesus right are from the Word of God Himself, the very Logos of God. We know that the New Testament epistles were written as men were guided by the Spirit of God. It wasn't like there was a little angel on their shoulder dictating in their ear. But God used those men's gifts, their talents, their minds, their experience, their location in the world, their languages and their understanding of languages to place every single word in the word order that it's in so that the Word of God would be revealed to mankind. And so we know then that the only authority that we can have is the authority of Scripture. And that's what Paul is doing in this book of Romans. He's saying we understand from the Old Testament, from the prophets, from the Scriptures themselves, that God would have a gospel. And so the gospel didn't happen at Acts chapter 2. The gospel happened in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. When the earth was void and God spoke. From that point on, everything is grace. Not one of us deserves to be on this planet. This planet doesn't deserve to be a planet. Saturn doesn't deserve to be Saturn. The universe doesn't deserve to be the universe. There's no intrinsic value that it has in and of itself. It's mostly dirt and space. What gives us its value, what gives us its meaning, what gives the universe everything that it is, is God spoke. What gives you your significance, what gives you your validity, what gives you your intrinsic value is that God spoke. He spoke you into being. You see, we have 
and we'll get into it deeper in this chapter 1, but we have this idea of general revelation that Paul speaks about here later, that all of creation cries out that God is there, that God has created, that God spoke things into being. But we have also this special revelation, His Word, written down for us in these 66 books of the canon, both the Old Testament and the New, where God collectively put men and prophets and his own finger together in majesty and congruity to make the gospel alive and real, that the only book that's authoritative on what the gospel is and who the gospel is are the holy scriptures of our Lord God. So we see that truly it's only scripture that has that kind of authority over us. Where do we look when we want to know the answers? We don't look to our own opinions. We don't look to the opinions of others. We look first to the Scriptures. It doesn't mean that we don't want to understand them deeper. It doesn't mean even that we don't want to have them illuminated through the preaching of the Word. But what it does mean is that everything that is preached, everything that is taught, we want ourselves to know where it is in the Word so that we might go there in the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit would teach us in our own hearts how the Word is applicable to our own self. He says he promised these things in his word beforehand that we might know the gospel. It was concerning his son. You remember the road to Emmaus, right? The two disciples walking with Jesus. And what does Jesus do with them? He opens up the word so that they might see him in every book of the Old Testament. Right? Because there was no New Testament book yet. Where is Jesus going to to tell them who he is, to show them who he is, to have the revelation of who he is? He goes to Genesis. He goes to Exodus and Deuteronomy. He goes through the rest of the books of the Old Testament and explains in each and every one he's there. And every single one of them point to who he is. Why are the scriptures foundational in their authority? Because the scriptures are of God. But not only they of God, they're also from God. That the scriptures unveil the very heart of God from God Himself. Therefore, they must have the final authority. And not only that, scripture interprets scripture. It's what keeps us from cherry picking scripture to form our own doctrine. It's the whole counsel of the Scriptures that gives us sound doctrine. There was a man named Marcion back in the early centuries of the church, really responsible in many ways for the Bible that we have today in an antithetical kind of way because he decided that he wanted to pick and choose his own books of the Bible. There were certain letters that were going around through the church in the New Testament. Marcion kind of liked the the writings of Luke. He thought those were good writings. So he decided to ignore the other Gospels and only have the Gospel of Luke. He thought the book of Acts was good. It was good for historical value. And Galatians, he kind of liked that. There were other books he didn't really care for very much. So he just ignored those and kept them out. And what what cause that had was that the council of the churches came together to do this one thing, this one thing only. Not to create a Bible, but to receive the Scriptures from God, from the Holy Spirit, that we might have a New Testament today. 
You see, the Bible that you have here today, the one I have here today, in its original version was directly from the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, to men to put together so that we might read the heart and the thoughts of God concerning His Son and our redemption. It is our only reliance that we might form doctrine over. And from our doctrine, we build our theologies. It's kind of bum rap in our, our culture that theology is a bad thing. Let me tell you something. Every person has a theology. Even no theology is a theology. The dependence of your theology is dependent upon your understanding of the doctrine as God has revealed what sound doctrine is. So Scripture is a foundational authority, and it's the first leg on a three-legged stool this morning that we want to look at. The second is the foundations of Christology, solus Christus, or the way that you understand who Jesus is. In verse 3, he begins to say this about Jesus, concerning, his, the, I'm sorry, concerning the Son, who was a descendant from David according to the flesh, and had declared the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Kind of sounds odd there for a moment, doesn't it? Descended from David and yet declared the Son of God. It's almost as though there's two people there that are being spoken of. Or was he a son of David that became God? And it could lead one to think that. But if it, if it does, that would be an error. Because that's not what's being said here. What's being said is that Jesus is fully man and fully God. He has always been God who took on the nature of man. And that nature that he took on was a nature that was promised through the prophets to come through David, the king of Israel, that he might be the ultimate king of all of God's people. David himself prophesied about the Lord being his Lord, his son to become his Lord. Some of you have heard me quote from Job chapter 9. Oh, if there was only one who could put his hand on God and another who could put his hand on me, then I would have someone that could help me. Who better to reveal that than Jesus himself, the one who can put his hand on God, the one who is pure, the one who is holy, the second person of the Trinity, the pre-existent one, the Alpha and the Omega, who places his hand on the Father, also man, fully man, takes upon the nature of flesh so that he might put his hand on flesh and be the reconciler and the mediator between a God who was offended by the sin of men and the way that he died on the cross. Only Christ alone can fulfill that role. Only Christ alone is the only Savior of the world. Only Christ can bring you redemption. Only Christ's righteousness can bring you before the Father. There is no other. How did that get accomplished? 
Because as being fully God, He was also the perfect sacrifice. Without blemish, without mark, without one impurity in His mind or on His heart or in His body. When the Holy Spirit inseminated the Virgin Mary, He took on the nature of both human and as God. Without mixing those natures together, without mingling those things together, fully man and yet fully God. A great mystery. He never stopped being God. He never stepped down from being God. And yet He never was less than human. Because as the perfect sacrifice, the perfect high priest, the perfect one, He died for the sins of those who were imperfect as fully man. You see, when our father Adam fell, when Adam sinned, he threw all of us into sin. And the wages of sin, according to God, is death. And so when Adam died, we became dying beings as those who are in Adam. But a better Adam came. The true Son of God came. And He fulfilled the covenant that our fleshly father Adam failed in. And because of that, we by faith are beneficiaries of what the perfect one did. The perfect Adam. In the same way that we inherited death from our father who failed, we inherit eternal life from our Father and our brother Jesus who succeeded. Because He was the representation of mankind in the same way that Adam was. In His humanness, He represented you and I. In His humanness on the cross when He died, you and I were there mysteriously so. In fact, Paul goes on to say, when Christ was crucified, we were crucified with Him. So that when Christ arose, you and I also arose with Him. And so that as we are born spiritually dead, we are now more spiritually alive than ever to never die again. So that with the Apostle Paul, with the Holy Spirit, we declare, Oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? Because we realize that when we died with Christ, we also rose with Christ and we are seated with Christ and we will go and be with Christ. And in the same way, when Christ returns in His glorified body, we too return with Christ in our glorified bodies as well. No other person, no animal could ever accomplish that. Only Christ alone. The temptation is in our culture to try to be unoffensive to others. To try to say, gosh, maybe we could just not say that so boldly that we don't offend anybody. What's a greater offense? To watch someone die or to give them words of life? There is no other. 
There's no other way but Jesus. Jesus himself said that in the Holy Scriptures. No one comes to the Father except through me. And no one can come to the Son unless the Father brings him to the Son. You see, it is the work of the Holy Spirit that enlivens us and rebirths us to have faith. Which brings us to the third leg, the foundation of faith, sola fide. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As is written, the righteous shall live by faith. There's no other way to, to have Christ other than through the means of faith. You must believe. Oh, many people can call themselves a Christian. Many people can sing hymns. Many people can, can pray. Many people can do marvelous works. Many people can do all sorts of things in the name of Christ. But you remember what Christ said, right? We talked about it last week. Many in that day will come to me and say, didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we do miraculous works? Didn't we use your name in a lot of places? And yet Jesus says, depart from me because I never knew you. He says of the Jewish nation in Romans, we'll get to it in a little bit, that they walked a good walk, they talked a good talk, but they didn't couple their walk with faith. And therefore they were rejected. That's how important faith is. That's how important belief is. It's how important that we understand it's only by faith that we can come to Christ. And in doing so, we have faith for this, that His righteousness is our righteousness. It is what the whole Reformation began on. It is the flint and the spark, as we spoke of last week. That the difference between us, who are the Reformation, us who are the Protestants, us who stand alone in the grace of God, is this. That there is nothing to be added to the righteousness of Christ. That it is Christ and His righteousness we receive by faith as our righteousness. That it is faith that brings us the gospel. Because it is the only way for the righteousness of God to be revealed to us. When we think of the cross, we think of, a, of Christ dying for what purpose? Well, we certainly know it's for our sins, that He died for our sins. But the Scriptures go on to teach us something much more significant happened than just our sins being paid for. So we said earlier, when He was crucified by faith, and by faith alone, I was crucified with Him. Every sin that I've ever committed, every sin I will commit, every sin that has ever been in my brain 
was paid for at Calvary in full. We speak of it in terms of a double imputation. That my sin, my punishment, that which I would be eternally damned for, was imputed, given, transferred by faith to Jesus. That he might die for it and receive the punishment of my eternal damnation. In return, I was imputed his righteousness as my very own. How did that transaction happen? Only by faith. There's no other way that you can gain it. There's no other way that you can understand it. And there's no other way to hold on to it other than by faith. Because it is that faith that reveals the righteousness of God as your righteousness. Our title of our series is From Faith to Freedom. How do we begin to step into freedom? Well, because the Scriptures are from God and the Scriptures are of God, they are completely reliable and authoritative. I'd rather have a physician that knows his Scriptures and his medicine equally well than I would a brilliant surgeon who has no clue how God made the body. I'd rather have an engineer that knows the dynamics of the physical laws that God put in place than I would an engineer that has no idea how things came into being. I'd rather have a teacher who understands what's being revealed in the classroom has an origin and a place of beginning and that everything, including 2 plus 2 equaling 4, is a revelation and a discovery, not an invention. We must look to the Scriptures to know what God's will is. Not only on a macro level, but on a micro level as well. If we don't read the Scriptures, if we don't understand the Scriptures, there's no way to understand God's will. Everything then, if the Scriptures are not reliable, if they're not authoritative, then everything's up as a big gamble. Anyone can make up anything and say, this is God's will. And don't we see it in our own culture today that people have diluted the Word of God and its authority in their lives so much so that anything can be God's will, that God accepts anything. God will accept any type of worship or God will accept any kind of lifestyle or God will accept any kind of sinful lifestyle and say, let me give it a wink and a nod. But the Scriptures tell us something completely different. That there is a way for us to worship God. And it's described in His Holy Scriptures. There is a way for us to walk as Christians. And it's described in the Holy Scriptures. There is a life unto repentance. It's described in the Holy Scriptures. And it's the only way that you and I can truly know what God wants of us. 
What are you relying on? Your wisdom. Your own wisdom. Your own thoughts. Your own feelings. Or are they being conformed to the thoughts and the will of God? We don't come to Scripture to try to make Scripture say what we want Scripture to say. We come to Scripture to understand what is said so that we might know what to say. It's also for our feeding. It's so we won't starve to death spiritually. It is real food. You remember again what our Master said, right? Man does not live by bread alone, but by what? What? His Word. Right, every word. There's a thing called plenary verbal inspiration or verbal plenary inspiration, whichever way you learned it, which means this, that the Bible was put together by the Spirit of God. Every single word is inspired and every word has its place and every word is said and described in its syntax exactly how God wants it to be. So that if you find a past tense verb, it was meant to be by the holy hand of God, a past tense verb. If it was in the book of the Gospel of Luke, it was meant to be in the Gospel of Luke. And if it was in the context of being in a crowd of Pharisees, it was meant to be in that crowd of Pharisees so that the Spirit of God would communicate the exact message He wanted to to that person. But you see, that's still true for you and I even today. That these scriptures are there so that God would communicate to you what His will is and what is right and true. Why would we sit around with our books, our Bibles gathering dust when we have the very Word of God that wants to speak to us, that wants to tell us, that wants to show us the way? A book that is so contrary to this culture, to this world, that we look silly We look foolish if we count on it. But it is the very wisdom of God that is the foolishness of men. Our foolishness to men. We are called to look like fools for the sake of Christ. We are called to live by this book. Let me tell you, it's hard. And we never get it just right. We never get it perfect. But we have the power of the Holy Spirit within our lives to strive, relying on the perfection of Christ, to see His fruits manifested in our life as we seek to do God's will. It's hard to turn the other cheek. It's hard to pray for your enemies. It's hard to love everyone. It's hard to take up your cross and to follow Jesus. It's hard to deal with rejection. It's hard to deal with ostracization. It's hard to deal with rejection. But even that, don't you know, is God's will for your life so that you may be distinguished from an earth that's dying and perishing as a people who are living eternally so? So that we might know the gospel. And that we might learn to love. That's why we read the scriptures. And because Jesus is fully God and fully man, there are three offices that he does on our behalf. One is this, that he's our king. As one who is fully God and fully man, he is our king. 
He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's not our president. He's not our congressman. It's not open for opinion. By His grace, He allows us to express our hearts. By His grace, He allows us to argue at times. By His grace, He allows us to be tearful. By His grace, He allows us to blow off steam. By His grace, He allows us to kick and stomp our feet like pouty little children. But we should never forget He's the King. And what the King says, the King means. And where the King tells us to go, the King tells us to go. And where the King tells us to step back, the king tells us to step back and we must obey the king. He's also our high priest. We have one that intercedes on our behalf continually and eternally on on behalf of us to the Father. He never stops lifting your name up before the Father. Isn't that good to know? That Jesus right now in this very moment Kaylee, Willard, that this moment Jesus is praying for you, for your future, for your freshman year, for your job. He's establishing His will in your life. Isn't that good for all of you to know right now in this moment, whether you're in disease, whether you're in a great time of life, whether you're in struggles, whether you're in depression, or whether you're in great joy, in this moment, the Savior of the world is praying for you before the Father. What kind of confidence does that give you and I? How does life change? How do we walk differently knowing that the King is also my priest who gave Himself up, who died for me, who right now prays for me? who covers me in His righteousness, who wraps His robe around me and presents me to the Father as though it's Himself. And says, Father, my child, our little one, is in great need. I lift them up to You right now. He's our true prophet. King, priest, and prophet. He is the Word of God. He's not a version of the Word of God. He's not an interpretation of the Word of God. He is the Word of God. What He says is not a truth. What He says is not a variation on the truth. What He says is not a helpful intuition on truth. What He says is truth because He is the truth. Because the Scriptures are true, we must rely upon them. Because Jesus is our priest, our prophet, and our king, He has a full authority in our life. And because faith is the only means of receiving our justification, we must cultivate our study of faithfulness. Where are the areas of your life that you begin to apply, Lord, help me be faithful right now in this circumstance? Maybe it's a temptation that's going on in your life right now. Lord, how do I stay faithful in this temptation? Maybe it's a choice you have to make between the way of the world and the wisdom of the world or the way of God and the wisdom of God. Lord, give me faith to have a faithful walk before you to choose your ways. Your word is a light into my path, a lamp into my ways. Lord, let me live that way. Maybe the choice for some teenager or college kid right now is the living room or the bedroom. And the prayer needs to be, Lord, help me to be faithful to that lifestyle that you've called me to. 
Maybe it's on the income tax form of if I don't put this in, I won't have to pay. Lord, help me to be faithful. You see, faith is the only means of receiving our justification, but it's also the only means we get to live by. You remember the words of our Lord again one more time. Found in the Gospel of Mark, I believe. When the Son of Man returns, will he find faith? Jesus isn't just speaking of a verbal assent to that he's God. That can come from anywhere. What he's asking, will he find his people being faithful to him? You see, only Scripture alone can tell us what that faithfulness is. Only Christ alone can reveal to us what it is. And only faith alone can appropriate it as our very own. Christ came that you and I might know God. That you and I might be in relationship with God. And you and I might walk eternally so with God. Let's pray.